Ephesians 4.11 says this, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, you often hear us say around here that, that God has gifted all of us to be active participants in the body of Christ. And, and this verse says, you know, he's raised up certain people uh, really for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of the church. And, and in the last eight years, it's been a joy and a privilege to see many of you step out, use your gifts, use your talents, and to see the body of Christ edified and built up as you've stepped out in faith. And as you've done that, God has grown you. God has transformed you. God has developed your gifts and, and grown you through the whole process. Uh, and uh, one of those people that, that I've had the privilege to see uh, and serve with for the last eight years and see grow is our, is our brother Bill. And many of you know Bill uh, from Tuesday nights. And he's our drummer. Uh, Eight years ago, I asked he and Tyler, you know, God put on our heart to, to start a church out of a living room and uh, asked them to, to pray about joining me in that endeavor and that calling, and, and he did by faith, and it's been a joy to see him grow. Uh, he's a man that passionately loves God and God's word, as those Tuesday nighters can attest. And uh, in, in uh, about a year ago, a year, year and a half ago, we were seeking the Lord as a leadership team. And uh, Lord put on our heart, you know, uh, there are gifts and giftings here, and Bill is a gifted teacher. And every once in a while, we're going to give the body uh, the opportunity to be edified and taught and matured uh, through his gifting. And so this morning, we are blessed uh, to have the word brought by uh, our dear brother who loves God passionately and loves his church passionately. So let's pray, and then uh, Bill will come up. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you uh, for what you're doing in this body, thank you that so many in the last eight years have stepped up to use the gifts you have given. And now, Lord, as uh, your brother Bill steps out to bring us your word, speak through him. Uh, Lord, it's your truth and it's your spirit. So, Lord, use him powerfully for your purposes in each of our lives this morning. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 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 Well, we've had church, haven't we? We've had church here today. You know, um, as Richie said, I'm a I'm a student of the Word. I I, I love to read. Um, I love the Word of God. I, I love the Lord, um, and so I read this a lot, which is probably um, indicative of the duct tape uh, that's holding it together. You ever have a Bible that's like your favorite Bible? You know that you kind of like carry it with you, and and we're blessed, aren't we? I have a lot of Bibles. Um, but this particular one was my first one, and so it's like I can't, it's hard to give that one up. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so I like to read, I read that a lot, um, but, um, uh, and, and reading is not unusual for me. I read a lot of stuff. I like to read stuff that's practical. I like to read real life stuff. I'm not a novel kind of a guy, uh, but I like to read about people and places and things. Uh, I enjoy doing that. If I have an interest or a passion in something, I usually try to find something that I can read about that interest or that or that passion. And so one of the things that uh, that I've been reading a lot about uh, most recently uh, and and I've been reading uh, I've been reading on one of these things. You ever seen one of those? That's a who knew 
uh, I mean, who knew that we would spend most of our time not flipping pages, but, but doing that, whatever that is. Uh, so I read, I read on this thing uh, quite a bit, and one of the things that I've been passionate about reading about of, of late is, is, um, uh, is, is hiking. <laughs> See, I, I'm a hiker. I like to hike. Um, and on this thing, uh, there's, there's, a, there's people that write, uh, and you can, it's, I don't know, it shows up automatically on here somehow or another. It's magic. I'm not sure how that works. But, uh, and they're called bloggers. Anybody read anybody's blog? Yeah, if you're under 30. Okay, so, so if you're a blogger uh, or you're reading a blogger, you know what blogging is. And then I've recently learned that there's not only blogging, but there's vlogging. Oh, yeah, there's vlogging. Oh, no, I love that. Oh, no. So what is a vlog? See, a vlog is like a blog only for an extrovert because a vlog is somebody that does a video of themselves telling a story about what they're doing, right? And is that, like, weird? Who wants? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So, so you really got to be an extrovert to be a vlogger. So I've been reading blogs, and I've been watching vlogs about hiking, and specifically I've been reading and, and, and watching about these people that are interested in doing really long distance hiking, like hiking on like the Pacific Crest Trail. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm going there. And so, um, and what is the Pacific Crest Trail? So the Pacific Crest Trail is this trail where its southern terminus starts in Campo, California. That's down by San Diego. That's where the trail starts. And then it meanders north, and it goes all the way north through the Cascade Mountains, and it ends up in Canada at the Canadian border on the north side of the Cascades. So 2,658 miles, that's what this trail is. And there are people that hike this. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so 2,658 miles of trail all the way through California, all the way through Oregon, all the way through Washington, and it ends in Canada. Now, see, and that trail is only one of what the Triple Crown Trail series is in the United States because there's two other long-distance trails, too. There's one called the Appalachian Trail. That's 2,100 miles, and that goes from Georgia to Maine. And then there's the granddaddy of all the, the, the trails in the country, and that's the, uh, that's the uh, Continental Divide Trail. It starts in New Mexico, and it meanders its way all the way up through the deserts and the mountains, and it ends up in Canada, and that's 3,100 miles. And so, you see, my interest has been kind of peaked in this Pacific Crest Trail thing because I've actually, I've actually hiked a small piece of it, a very small piece, but I've hiked a small piece of it, and, and I, re- I enjoy the mountains, I enjoy hiking, I'm, 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 I like backpacking, and so that's been kind of my interest. And so I've been reading these books, and I've been, I've been doing the blog thing, and it's, it's fun to, to read about these people that are, that are doing it because they're nuts. And so, because really... Who in their right mind? Seriously, who in their right mind would start in Campo, California, San Diego, and start hiking until they, until they got to Canada? Who would do that? Uh, <laughs> no, see, it's, who said crazy? Yeah, it's not only crazy, but it's, but it's, 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 it's unreasonable. So, um, seeing as though I'm not crazy or unreasonable, um, I'm... Yes, I am going to hike part of the Pacific Crest Trail, but I'm going to do what they call a section hike, you know, and so if you're a hiker, you, there's this terminology you've got to get used to. So I'm going to do a section hike because it's unreasonable and absolutely insane to hike 2,658 miles, so I'm just going to do a, a section of it, and so in two weeks, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to, I'm going to head up to Lake Tahoe, and I'm going to start in Lake Tahoe, and I'm going to, I'm going to hike just 1,600 miles of it. 
No, because that's reasonable. It's, well, yeah, I'm just going by myself. It's not the bill. I'll have the Lord with me. It'll be fine. It will be fine. But one of the things I've really been interested in is I've been reading a lot about this, and I've been reading these blogs, is that why do people do this? Because I'm sure that you're asking yourself that question. Why would somebody hike from, from Mexico to Canada? Now, 4,000 people a year apply for a permit to do this. 4,000. It has become quite popular. They've had to regulate it. And so the, the why question, why in the world would 4,000 people from all over the world apply for a permit to hike the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexican border to the Canadian border? Why would they do that? Well, it's pretty interesting because <clears throat> uh, that question has been asked and answered often. And so in reading some of the answers about these people that are doing this, uh, I'm going to share with you some of their answers. And maybe you'll be able to relate to some of these. So check it out. So one fellow said, why are you hiking the PCT, as they call it? And he says, for the physical and mental challenge of it. Well, duh. I'm sure it's pretty physically challenging and probably pretty mentally challenging, too, as you have to deal with getting up in the morning every morning. You know, because it takes like five months to do this if you're going to hike the whole thing, right? And you've got to hike like 20 miles, 25 miles every day. Can you imagine like at like 10th or 12th day of a 20-mile day getting up off of the ground that you just slept on and motivating yourself to hike another 20 or 25-mile day? Seriously. I mean, the mental and physical challenge is immense. One guy said, for the adventure. Another one said, because it's a calling. I'm not so sure it's a calling. And then there was a man that was really honest, and I really like this guy's answer. He was honest, but he wasn't very brave because he answered the question, why is he hiking the PCT? He answered it anonymously, and he said, so that I can get away from my wife. Probably not a good answer. You should probably stay home and work on that issue, huh? <laughs> but then there's the two answers, not T-W-O, but T-O. And I like these. They're very intriguing to me. To be completely free, hiking for five and a half months every day, day in and day out, to be completely free. Hmm. Or to prove something to myself or to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Another person said to learn what it truly, what truly matters and what is really necessary to live life fulfilled. Seriously, you're going to go hike for five and a half months every single day, all day, 12 hours a day to find out if that fulfills your life. But that was their answer. To find selfless kindness through both myself and others. To get lost and then find myself over and over again. Very interesting answers. One that I really like, by, uh, answered by a guy by the name of Pappy. And Pap, well, by the way, Pappy is his trail name because everybody on the trail has a trail name. And, um, and so Pappy was given a trail name because he's 87. And Pappy this year, and I'm following him because he's not writing a blog because he's 87, Shiloh. 87-year-olds don't write blogs, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, Pappy doesn't. But he started the Appalachian Trail a few months ago. He's 87 years old, and they asked him, why are you doing this, Pappy? And he said, to see if I still can. I like it. See, because Pappy, when he retired, he retired when he was in his late 60s. And what did Pappy do? Pappy hiked all three of the Triple Crown Trails. So in three years, in his late 60s, Pappy, I'm very motivated by this, Pappy hiked 
6,850 miles over three years in his late 60s. And then, and then there's people like Matador. Now, Matador is a 20-something young woman, and she hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and completed it. And they asked her, why did you do that? And I want you to listen. I want you to listen carefully to what she said. She said, since my PCT adventure in 2016, I have shed perceived, my perceived exterior a multitude of times. I consider myself an onion, gradually peeling back one layer at a time on the ultimate quest now listen, to discover myself and to embrace the authentic being residing in my inner core. The loss of some of those layers makes me cry. Some cause me to scream, some to laugh. Now listen to this. And then she says, all our preconceived notions placed on me by society, other people projecting onto me or false identities I have adopted. The process is brutal, but one I am committed to. Who am I? So she's trying to talk about what motivated her to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And at the same time, at the end, after she had already done it, she asks the same question that they asked of her. Who am I? Why are you doing this? I'm doing it to find myself. And she did it. And then she says, who am I? Well, it's a great question, isn't it? Because that's the overarching reason. If you look at all of the information that is presented on this thing. I love this thing. The bloggers are trying to find themselves. Who am I? Is That's the question that they're asking. Now, I love that because people have been asking that question of themselves forever. It's a question that really transcends age, ethnicity, culture. No doubt there's somebody in this room right now, maybe more than one, probably more than one, that are right now asking the same question. Really, who am I? Because you haven't figured that out yet. You're asking the question, who am I? Now, according to the people that I've been reading, the who you are can be found if you hike 2,658 miles, apparently. But I wonder. Because on the other hand, there's a lot of people in this world that will help you find the answer to who you are. Right? I was reading William Shakespeare. And William Shakespeare asked a very profound question. You remember William Shakespeare. For you old people like me, you'll remember that, that we were required to read him in high school. Remember Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet? And it was like, oh my gosh, I have to read this whole thing. Uh, now I appreciate him, but then I didn't. But William Shakespeare said, who is it that can tell me who I am? Who is it? It's a great question, old Billy Shakespeare. There he was looking for somebody to give him the answer. Who am I? That's what he wanted to know. And then I read this week also Alicia Keys. Who knows Alicia Keys? Show of hands. Come on, Alicia Keys. Ah, more than I thought. Okay, so it's the under 40 crowd. So, Ali- <laughs> I mean, Pat, do you know who Alicia Keys is? Oh, of course, you're, you're a musician. You, you know. So, so Alicia Keys, by the way, what a voice, huh? Oh, man, can she sing? So she's this R&B artist, right? And she's very popular and very successful. And she's a producer and she sold like 60 million records. And so and she says this. Listen, Alicia Keys, very popular today, very contemporary. She says this. Listen up. Things can re things can be really empty in this world. 
and I don't mean just the music world, it can become a very meaningless place if you don't really understand who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? And then she says to, to feel fulfillment and have a deeper level of understanding. Personally, that is the most important thing. Well, you know what? I agree with her. I think she's right. She identifies the importance of figuring out who she is. That's important. It's even critical. You've got to know who you are, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. okay, you've got to know who you are. The problem is she identifies the problem and how important it is, but then she doesn't give you any guidance or any indication of where to go or what to do to figure it out. It just leaves you hanging. And so it goes. And so it goes. People are looking for meaning and purpose in their life. You run across these people, maybe you're one of them. Right? We're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. And so what happens is they try to figure it out and they often get all tied up in knots because what they think that what they do will provide the answer to who they are. Welcome to the blogosphere for the Pacific Crest Trail. What they do, they think, is going to give them the answer to who they are. Now, men are especially an interesting creature. Amen, ladies? I love it when a group of men gets together. One of the first things that happens in a conversation, especially if it's a social gathering, men will say, men, you'll appreciate this because you've all done it. Hey, man, what do you do? You know, that's code for men because what they want to know is what do you do for work? What kind of work do you do? Because men are kind of competitive. We're kind of built that way. And they're trying to figure out, you know, if this guy, my job is, you know, just a little bit, you know, more up there than, than yours. But it's, it's, it's so weird, isn't it? Because what, what, what that code for what do you do kind of stands for, wait, is it, it's as though we're asking what do you do because what you do translates into somehow who you are. But now, I don't know about you, but I've never had a conversation with anybody, a man or anybody else, not in my entire life, that started out with something like this. Hey, so tell me a little bit about who you are. Nobody's ever asked me that question. How about you? Anybody ask you that question? Hey, who are you? Because it's weird, isn't it? It's kind of weird if somebody says, hey, who are you? <laughs> Mark, who are you? I don't know. How would you even answer that question? But it's a pretty important question, isn't it? Because I'll tell you what, before I was a believer, I clearly didn't know who I was. And I was struggling. My life was out of control. It was unmanageable. I was looking for the same answers that Alicia Keys writes in that quote that I just, that I just read to you. I was looking for who I am, why am I here, and what am I supposed to be doing. I was desperate for the answer to that question. And I felt, I felt powerless I felt like my life was meaningless. I needed the answer to that question. And I read through these questions and the answers from all these people that are hiking this long distance trail. And the overarching issue with them is they're trying to find themselves. So when it was my turn to ask the question about what's going on, who am I, what am I doing here, what's the purpose of all of this? I had no clue what the answer to that question was. I began reading and studying, and I was directed towards and attracted to 
Eastern philosophical thought, I was very interested in things like Hinduism and Buddhism and metaphysics and New Age theology. Those things, really, I was attracted for some reason. And I was on the quest for answers, and I was exposed to some pretty interesting things. Kind of like this. I was reading and really studying a gentleman by the name of Harbhajan Singh Yogi. Now, this yogi said this. And I'm looking to find out who am I and what am I doing? What's the purpose of all of this? And he said, when you understand who and what you are, your radiance projects into universal radiance and everything around you becomes creative and full of opportunity. Oh, that was awesome. The problem is I had no idea what universal radiance was. But I was all in for opportunity. I was in for opportunity. The problem is he never got to the point where he could tell me who I was so that I could attain whatever this universal radiance is and whatever the opportunity was. The teaching, I read a lot. The teaching never got there. And if that wasn't enough, there was another gentleman by the name of Tanmaya Guru. That's his real name. He was a guru and his last name was Guru. I should have been, I was pretty suspect right from, the, right from the beginning, but he said some things that were very interesting and very appealing to me. Listen to what he said. He said that humanity isn't just a work, but it's a divine nature that makes you God. And I thought, wow, this is what I'm looking for. Who doesn't want to be God? Unfortunately, at the time, I had absolutely no clue how far off base this teaching was. Because the interesting thing about this particular guru was this. On the one hand, he says, hey, if you're human, you're God. And in the very next breath, practically, in his teaching, this man asked the question. You're going to love this. The question in his writing was, who am I? And he says, I have not found the answer yet. (laughs) How in the world can you say that if you're human, you're God? And then in the next statement, say that I have not found myself yet. So apparently, this man didn't believe that he was human. It just made no sense. And then that's like, you know, welcome to the problem that we have with Eastern philosophical thought and, 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 and New Age theology. You see, it's all just very circular reasoning, isn't it? It never ends up with anything that you can, that you can rest on. There's nothing solid there. But wait, there's more. Because we can't have this discussion without talking about the Apostle Paul. Uh Uh-oh. Now it's going to get a little bit close to home for those of you that are into this. Because I want to talk about the Apostle Paul for a second. Because those of you that are familiar with Apostle Paul, what do we know about the Apostle Paul, especially in the New Testament? Anyone? He wrote most of it. And for those of you that don't know much about Apostle Paul, you should. Okay, you should. But you see, before Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul. And Saul, I wonder if in his early years, wasn't like the Pacific Crest Trail hiker Matador, who said, there are preconceived notions placed on me by society and other people projecting onto me false identities that I have adopted. Saul. I'm just wondering. Because you see, if you know Saul and if you know his story, you know that he grew up in a pharisaical home. I love that word, pharisaical. It just kind of rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? He grew up in a home of Pharisees. And he was raised by parents that were Pharisees. 
And he was obviously a very intellectually gifted young man. Amen. For those, you know, Saul, he was very gifted and his parents were performance driven. This. I'm not looking at anybody specifically. This was a performance driven household that he lived in. Performance was no doubt Saul's identity as a kid. You see, because by the time Paul, Saul actually then, was 13, what do we know about him? When Saul was 13, this is what he knew. He had mastered the Jewish law. He lived in a pharisaical household. The law was everything. He had mastered the law. He had mastered Jewish history. He could memorize and had memorized the writings of all the prophets. And he could quote the Psalms from memory. Now, if I ask the question, how many of you can quote the Psalms from memory? Not a hand in the house would go up. Amen. But this was Saul. As a young man, he was driven, big time driven. That was his identity. His parents also got to send him to the best school. Isn't that what you want for your kids? Molly, don't you want Molly to go to the best school? Maybe she should start eating solid food first, but you can start thinking about that now, right? They sent him to the best school. He studied under the rabbi Gamaliel, right? Who was the best of the best of the best at the time. And I'm convinced that you see Saul was headed toward being the baddest Pharisee in all the land. I'm, I'm convinced that that's what... He was going that direction. He just wanted to be the biggest, baddest Pharisee that there was. And as it turns out, he was on that road. And I'm also convinced that beyond that, I'm convinced that his parents were teaching him that, you know what, being a Pharisee isn't enough. I think that you ought to be the head of the Sanhedrin one day. And the Sanhedrin was the 71 men that, that had rule over all of Jewish life and all of Jewish law, you see, because he was driven. But if you know the rest of the story, there was a little bit of a change. What changed in Saul's life? Jesus. You see, there was this Jesus experience that Saul had on the road to Damascus, and he was going to Damascus to do what? To arrest and, and essentially murder the people of the way. Christians. That's you. That's me. That's what he was doing as a Pharisee. He had to wipe out this way because these, this was a sect that was causing nothing but trouble. This Jesus was trouble until Saul met him. And then I wonder if Saul really knew who he was after he had a radical conversion from his come to Jesus moment. What do you think? Do you think that Saul, because it was radical, wasn't it? Saul was a Pharisee. He was on his way to Damascus and he was going to go murder, arrest and murder, kill Christians. And what happened? He had a come to Jesus moment, as I like to call it. He had a come to Jesus moment. And all of a sudden, he was no longer a Pharisee. He was one of us. Conflicted? Perhaps. The fact is, is that Saul made a pretty bold statement after he became Paul because he was a believer at this particular point. He was a follower of Jesus. And so he was in front of the Jewish tribunal because they arrested him because he was an ex-Pharisee because they didn't like this, right? 
because he used to be one of them, but now he's one of us. And so they had him in front of this tribunal and they asked him the question, who are you? And you know what he said? Acts 21, 39, he said, I am a Jew of Tarsus, a a citizen of no insignificant city. But did Paul answer the question? Rightly? Because they said, who are you? Because they were trying to figure it out. Because I, I can just imagine that this tribunal was thinking, wait a minute, weren't you one of us? What is going on with you, man? You were one of us. So who are you? I'm a Jew of Tarsus. Well, yeah, he came to Jesus for sure, and he didn't lose his Jewishness. He was still a Jew. And he was still from Tarsus, but did he answer the question rightly? How would you answer the question? So, I guess it looks like this. I've been waiting a long time to do this. Could you stand up? (laughs) You knew it was coming, man. So who are you? Is that rhetorical? (laughs) I just want to share something with you. This is not Richie from San Diego. You can sit down. You You see, that's not Richie from San Diego. And you see, because I know this man. This is not... Richie from San Diego. That's not the right answer because that's not who he is. And what about you? Who are you? Who are you? Now, I love this song that we're going to listen to. It's by a band called the Casting Crowns. And the name of the song somehow just kind of fits the message today because the title of the song is Who Am I? And what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the song and it's going to be playing and it's going to be on the big screen and the words are going to come up and you can listen to it or if you want to, you can sing it. If you want to, you can sing it. It's a great song. Listen to the words. Let the words penetrate. The ushers are going to come by. When the song is playing, the ushers are going to come by because we have a little gift for you and they're going to pass the gift down the rows and you're going to hold on to this gift. So when you do that, just hold on to the little gift. Try not to let that be a distraction. Listen to the song. Sing it if you should choose. Hailey, go ahead. Who am I that the Lord of all would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. 
song. Did you hear the truth in there about who you are? Did you hear the biblical truth in that song about who you are? It says, not because of who I am, not because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. You've told me who I am. You've told me who I am. He says, I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. They repeat it over and over in that song. Really? Are you his? Because you see, 
You all, know, you all now have one of these in your hand, don't you? Do you know what this is? Ladies, tell the men what this is. It's a compact. And if you open it from the bottom, men, if you carried a purse, you would have one of these with you. But if you open this compact, you will see a mirror. Now, I want you to do something with this mirror. I want you to hold it out at arm's length because it's small. And I want you to turn it around. And I want you to look at the reflection in the mirror. Do it. This is a participatory thing. Are you looking at your reflection? What do you see? Okay. All right. It's pretty scary because what do you see? Ernie, you forgot to brush your teeth. You got some breakfast in there, man. All right. Some of you didn't. I think some of you parted your hair on the wrong side this morning. I don't know. What do you see? What hair? Seriously, what do you see in the mirror? It's an important question, but I think maybe... By the way, does it make you uncomfortable to look at yourself in the mirror in a group of people like this? It's kind of weird, isn't it? So what do you see? I think that there's a better question, though. I think the better question is, who do you see? Who do you see in that mirror? Yeah, because, you know, if you're going to see yourself rightly in that mirror, church, if you are going to see yourself rightly in that mirror, you must see God rightly first. You must. And if you are going to see God rightly, you have to believe what he says about you and how he sees you in that mirror. Amen? Look at the verse on the front of the compact. Now, I've changed this. Highly, you can put it up. Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are, and italics, I added, I am God's masterpiece. I added the italics, they're mine, because you see, if it's important for you to look in this mirror and do this in the first person singular, you must see yourself rightly, church. You must. So what does it say? I am God's masterpiece. Look in the mirror. Ernie, I don't care what you look like, brother. And now I'm not even being funny. Look in the mirror. Now say, say the biblical truth. I am God's masterpiece. Okay, I want you to repeat it. This is good. This is a, you see, you can't be passive, church. A Christian is not a passive person. A Christian is somebody that takes action. You see, the Apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed his identity forever. And you're looking in a mirror, and you're looking at biblical truth. It says, I am God's masterpiece. So I want you to say it because it's true. I am God's masterpiece. Because you are. Because you are. I don't care how you walk in here today. You've got to know that you are God's masterpiece. It's true. The question is, do you believe it? You've got to believe it. I am God's... Thank you, Brenda. I am God's masterpiece because it's true. You see, 
To see God rightly and see how he sees you is to know who you are. I got to repeat that. To see God rightly and to see how he sees you is to know who you are. I am Amen. The beautiful truth is that you, you, and who you are is rooted in him and who he is. Don't forget that. That is a truth. The song said, because of who you are, you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am a masterpiece. I love that word masterpiece because in the original language in the Greek, masterpiece is really poem. You are a beautiful poem. And you are valuable because how valuable is a masterpiece? Some people say priceless, but you want to know something? That's not true. Eileen put up the picture. It is not true. Do not believe that a masterpiece is priceless. It's not true. You see that painting right there? That's a John Pollock painting. It's titled number five. And in 2006, that painting sold for $140 million. Kathy, keep painting. <laughs> Look at it. It sold for $140 million. Now listen. I don't know. Where you're, a bunch of you have kids down the hall. I've seen stuff come out of there. You hold on to it, parents, because I've seen stuff that's valuable. That's a, I can't believe that, $140 million. You see, because everything has a price. If it is true that the value of something is measured by what someone will pay for it, then you need to rethink what your worth is. Because you are a masterpiece. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Here's the truth. The reflection in the mirror. Look in the mirror. The reflection in the mirror. God right now sees that reflection as fully righteous. Positionally, you are fully righteous in Christ Jesus. You see, because when Christ died on that cross, when he went to that cross willingly, what happened was there was a great exchange. The, what happened was the exchange was that for your sin and my sin, born into sin, for your sin and my sin, God exchanged that for the righteousness of Christ. And now when you look in the mirror as his masterpiece, you are fully righteous. Do you believe that? You have to believe that. Some of you, you're here this morning, and some of you, I, I think some of you aren't sure whether you believe it or not. I'm convinced that so, there are people, there are, there are believers that walk through doors in churches every week, and, and they're trying to figure out and work through how they feel about this masterpiece and righteousness thing. And let me, I've got to help you with this. You've got to stop thinking about how you feel about it, because your feelings are highly unreliable. Your feelings are really irrelevant. What matters is the truth. See, because who you are is based on truth. And if you'll just simply believe the truth of who you are, it will change everything. 
whether you've been a believer for five minutes or 50 years, it will change everything. You need a Jesus encounter like Paul had on the road to Damascus. And if you haven't had one of those yet, come on. Because you've got to know who you are. You're his. Because what you believe directly leads to how you act and then ultimately how you live. Amen? We're going to close with this because there are some I am's in the Bible. And some of you are thinking about the great I am. And that's not the I am I'm talking about. And I am convinced that the church needs to be thinking biblically in the first person. And if you've been with me on Tuesday nights for any time at all, you know that I'm a first person kind of a guy. Right, Tuesday nighters? All right. Highly put up the first verse. I want, you to, I want you to speak it, church, okay? Because Christianity is a participation sport. We don't sit idly. We're going to speak the truth. What is the first I am? Thank you. I am complete. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. The next one, Eileen. What's the next I am, church? I am loved. That is a truth. That is part of who you are. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Wow, that's packed, isn't it? Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. I am. Romans 8.15, Eileen. I am what? I am accepted. You know why? Because God chose you to be an adopted child of his. I love adoption. What's the difference between adoption and everything else that you can think of? We're talking about Compassion Sunday right now. We're going to adopt children. Why? Because they're desperate. They need to know Jesus. They need a hand up. They need somebody to love them. And you chose them. Wow, is that powerful or what? Come on. You've been chosen as a child of God. Come on. You ought to be jumping out of your chairs. What are you doing just sitting there? And lastly, Romans 5.1. What are you? You are pleasing. You see, in, because it, it's about Jesus, you see, you, you have been, you've been made right in the eyes of God by your faith in Christ You are pleasing to God as you sit here right now. I am complete. I am loved. I am accepted. I am pleasing. And what else are you on the front of the compact? Okay, I want you to say it one more time. I want you to say the I am of the truth of who you are. If you are a believer in Christ right now, I want you to say it. And I don't want you to say it like, come on now. I want you to say it like you mean it. Because you believe it. If you believe it, say it. Amen. Can I get like a hallelujah or something for that? Oh, man. Because here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. 
You see, this is a celebratory, this is a celebratory message because you've got to know who you are in Jesus. And, and if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you are his masterpiece. You are complete, loved, accepted, and pleasing, and you are completely righteous in his sight. And I want you to see that every time you look in a mirror. Every single time you look in a mirror, I want you never to look in a mirror again the same way ever. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you look in the mirror, you have to see God rightly as he sees you. And then you will see yourself rightly. You will see yourself as a child of God. You will see yourself as his masterpiece. And there is nothing that can come against that. So if you walked in this room today and you are carrying some burdens that came from your past or something that happened this week or whatever it might be, or you're trying to figure out who you are, or what you want to be when you grow up. Or any of the other crazy things that the Pacific Crest Trail hikers say that they're trying to find when they go out and do a crazy 2,658 mile hike. You know, you don't have to do any of that. None of it. Because as a believer, you are his masterpiece. Amen? Amen. By the grace of God. Conversely, maybe you're here and this is the first time that you've ever heard, what? That's who I am? Yeah. That's who you are. And maybe you're hearing it for the first time. And maybe you now know that you don't have to hike a hike or climb a mountain or prove anything to yourself or anybody else. You just don't have to. All you simply have to do is the reasonable thing. Just believe. Just believe the truth. And if you've been coming to church for a long time and you still haven't believed the truth, speak it out. You can sit right in the chair where you're at and you can just speak it out and say, I believe it. And maybe it's the first time that you're going to say, yeah, I believe it. And maybe you didn't believe it when you walked in here this morning, but now you do believe it because it's the word of God. It is, it is the truth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And he said, you are God's masterpiece. That's who you are. I kind of expect a hallelujah for that one too. Okay, all right, that's good. So here's the truth. When this exchange took place on the cross, you see, he exchanged his righteousness. It doesn't matter how you feel. The truth is that he exchanged his righteousness for your sin and my sin on that cross so that you would know who you are. You are his masterpiece. You've been set free from the power of sin. You have been set free from the penalty of your sin. And ultimately, you're going to be set free when you fly away. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. We sing it at Triple C. Come to Triple C this afternoon. You're going to hear that song. Right, Robert? We will play that song because at Triple C, I'll Fly Away has power and meaning beyond anything that you can imagine because it's true. Because ultimately, in the heavenly realms, we will be absent even the presence of of sin. And it may be that what you need to know this morning is that you can look at yourself rightly in the mirror from this point forward. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven. You can be free right now by looking at yourself rightly in the righteousness of Christ because you are his masterpiece. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, God. And the way you proclaim it to us in such straightforward, God, 
straightforward, simplistic ways. We are your masterpiece. And God, thank you. Thank you even for the struggles that we have in our life as we walk through the day and the, the door here today and we and, and we were burdened by the things that of, of our of our life, God, the things that happened just this week. And some of us are carrying things around like Matador, the Pacific Trust Trail hiker God, that says that her identity is has really been misconceived. Because it's been projected onto her and then she began to believe it. But it wasn't true. The truth is, God, that you love each and every one of us. God, and you just simply want us to put our faith in you. And trust and believe that we are indeed your masterpiece. And it can be a celebration, God, as we get up out of our chairs today. When this church service is over, you see, it's not over. And so, God, help us to live as your masterpieces because you showed us what our value is when you paid it all. There was a price. You paid the price. And, Lord, when you paid that price, God, you told us what our value is and how you valued us. Help us to see ourselves that way. Help us, God, to see ourselves in the mirror the way you see us in the mirror and to leave the burdens at your feet and to cast everything that is not true onto you. You said that you'll take it. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We're going to prepare for communion this morning and I'm telling you what, communion today, guys, is a celebration. It is a celebration because there is compassion in the house. We are going to compassionately We are going to adopt some children that their lives are going to be changed in the name of Jesus because somebody simply wanted to spend $38 a month. But it's not the $38, is it? It's the heart. Because, you know, understanding who we are is just paramount, isn't it? We have to know who we are. Come to the table this morning. Not only obediently, but celebratory. It's a celebration of who we are. Jesus said to his boys in the upper room, he said, listen, I want you to do this whenever. He didn't say how often. He said, just whenever you do it, I want you to do it to remember me. And the whole time, I know he was thinking about the fact that he had already told them, listen, you are God's masterpiece. Come this morning to the table and remember that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Know who you are today. Have a spring in your step when you come forward to the communion table today because it is a celebration. And then when we're done with communion, I hope the spring never leaves. I hope that you can just live the way Jesus wants you to live. I hope today is an encounter on a road to Damascus for you, whether you've been a believer for a long time or you're just putting your faith in Jesus today for the first time because now all of a sudden you believe it. So come to the table. Carl, turn the lights up bright. Let's have a song that is celebratory. Let's come in truth and the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ to the table. Take the cups. Take the elements that represent...
the Lord Jesus and his broken body and his shed blood. Take it back to your seat in celebration with a great smile on your face and with great jubilation in your heart. Take it back to your table and then your or your chair, either one. And then we'll take the communion meal together as a church family. And we'll do that as a celebration. Amen. Come forward. Come forward to the table.